Do you have more pictures of your goats than yourself on your phone? Does your vacation time get spent attending goat shows? Can you have a conversation without bringing up dairy goats? Neither can we. So join us as we talk to the country's best breeders, judges, appraisers, and industry experts about all things dairy goats. We are John Kane and Danielle Caroli. Welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. What's up, everyone, and welcome to Ringside. I'm John, and as always, I'm joined by the Queen of the North, Danielle Caroli. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, you know, nice, beautiful 30-something degree day in New York, so can't complain. Yeah, we could probably find a reason to, but we'll move on. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, Danielle, today we have a guest. I one, know. One that's been in the works for a long time, and uh, mostly on my mine and then Nate's side, where uh, we kind of just crashed the cart, I guess. But we got him on now, and that's what is important, because this has been a long time coming. So excited. Today we have... Mark Baden on. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks for having me. Mark, you're of Olingtangi Farm, located in Washington. Mark, you breed nationally recognized alpines. You've had, you've bred senior national champions, best utter winners, junior national champions, premier sires, numerous group class winners. The list really goes on. Mark is a director for ADGA, a member of the EC. He's on many committees and an appraiser, which is what brings us all here today. We'll be talking about Mark's correlation of 40-40-40 in, in mammary systems and how it transfers to production. Welcome to the show, Mark Baden. Well, thanks again for having me. It's uh, We have been talking about this for over a year, so it's nice to yeah. <laughs> finally have the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, with COVID and everything, it's kind of got away from us, but I'm really excited. I've been waiting for this for a long time. There's been other good topics to discuss in the meantime. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, Mark, for those that don't know who you are, uh, can we hear about you and, and your herd and your background with appraising in ADGA? Um, well, I have uh, a four-decade relationship with the American Dairy Goat Association. I started um, as a 4-H'er in the Midwest. I'm originally from Ohio in District 4. And so I started with um, uh, experimental recorded grade does in the early 1980s. Um, my, uh, I started in 4-H. I'm the youngest of three children. My brother had a large sheep project, and uh, my sister wanted a horse. And um, my parents uh, told her that we couldn't afford a horse. And so then my sister then um, said, well, I want a goat. And I'm the youngest. And I said, well, I want one too. So my mom, so my mom looked uh, in the uh, RFD News, Rural Farm Directory newspaper, and she found an ad for some Alpine and Nubian kids. And so that Saturday, we went over to Signet, Ohio, and we purchased two Alpine Nubian um, experimental kids. And every goat in my pasture today, uh, with the exception of my one purchased buck, they all go back to that goat from 1982. That um, is amazing. 
Yeah, so there was a there were many Nubian national champions in that goat. <laughs> no Alpine national champions. <laughs> um, so, um, so my my experience is is you know totally from the ground up, it, the most humble beginnings. Um, you know, those first goats were forty five dollars. That my my mother paid forty five dollars each. Uh, my sister's goat was a pole doe kid, and uh, mine was disbudded. Um, they were 50% Alpine, 50% Nubian. The breeder told us, whatever you do, breed them Alpine. He said, if you breed them Nubian, they won't turn out because they were 50-50s. And they had airplane ears. Um, and, um, and so we, did, we didn't know any better. We, we raised them like the sheep we had. And so they grew well. And, um, and so uh, we took them to the fair. And um, it was not an Antigua sanctioned show. Um, and we did well with them. And, uh, and, and then people we were penned next to, um, they were going to other ADCA shows. Um, and then the two years later, they asked me if I wanted to go to this goat show because their daughter um, had a track meet. She couldn't you know, go to the goat show. And so they needed some help. And I said, what are you talking about? There's a goat show that isn't at the fair. And so the whole, <laughs> this whole concept of weekend shows I had no concept of that. I only thought, you know, there's only a show at the county fair, which is one week out of the entire year. And so so they took me down to Delaware, Ohio, uh, Scioto Valley and Heart of Ohio uh, dairy goat shows in, in uh, uh, Delaware. And so that was my very first ADGA show that I went to. And it was wonderful. There was like there were hundreds of goats, not just, you know, 15 or 20 at the county fair. Um, and so big showmanship competitions. And so uh uh, I went with them and helped them and got to show in showmanship. And then they said, oh, there's another show next month if you want to go. And you can even bring your own goat. And so um, I said, sure, count me in. And so that was kind of the start. Um, and those are still lifelong friends that I have. Um, I would later go to their 4-H club. Um, and they're really good mentors. Um, and met a lot of great people in central Ohio uh, that I still am in contact with over the years. Um, and so that was in the 80s. Um, and then I went to college at the Ohio State University in the early 90s. Um, and then the goats kind of took a back seat um, because, you know, different pursuits, as a lot of kids, you know, have to sell out their herds when they, uh, you know, age out from 4 H. Um, mm-hmm. Moved to California and had a job at Aircraft Technical Publishers. And my parents said that, um, you know, you either need to come home or you need to get rid of these goats. And um, so um, at any rate, um, so some things had changed. I moved back to Ohio. Um, and, uh, and at that time, um, I got my judge's license um, when I graduated from college as well. So I've been a judge since 1982. Um, and been on some different committees. Um, I first got um, my herd uh, praised, well, actually classified. The classification program is the precursor to the linear appraisal program. So that's our first uh, type program for ANGA. It's from 1977 to 1987. So in 1986, I had my goats uh, classified at my 4-H advisor's house um, by Steve Considine, actually, was my first classifier. Um, and so, so it's kind of really great that, um, you know, my, my first generation, um, does that we bred those first two purchase 4-H goats and who they were bred to those kids have a classification record. Um, and so I actually am very fortunate that in my 40 year 
um, history of breeding dairy goats, I actually have um, actual tangible records, not just my own emotional opinion um, or just, you know, one dimensional photographs, but I actually have um, records. Um, that's so, so, cool. so that's kind of great. So really, you can really then evaluate generational improvement. You can kind of see where the breeds were and how they've advanced as well. So, so that's kind of in the nineties, um, I started judging and then, um, in the two thousands, then, um, I moved to Washington state in 2000, um, to be an air traffic controller for the federal aviation administration. And, uh, and again, all, all along, uh, my dairy goats were at my parents' farm in Hamler, Ohio, which is Northwest Ohio, about, Oh, seven eighths of a mile north of uh, Kurt Schnipke's house because I know you've had him on the show a couple times. And um, yeah, yep. So, uh, so it's kind of hard to believe there's another Antica person in Hamler because it's kind of a half a horse town. It's a pretty small place. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, so they gave me a year to move the goats because my brother was having human children, so they were having grandkids. They didn't want to have goat kids anymore. So. So again, I uh, found a place and uh, moved the goats out here in April of 2001. And the goats kind of have really, you know, then they're under my stewardship and my um, management. So it's kind of changed because the goats were, well, it was, uh, my parents are grain farmers, um, but the goats were, you know, just a real small hobby. And of course, you can't manage a, a competitive herd over the telephone. And so it's just not really... Um, not really, not not an easy scenario. So there, were, the goats weren't really of any worthy caliber in the '90s, um, and so they were, still were very humble assimilation um, of alpines at that time. Um, and not until the goats moved out here, um, where they were really my primary hobby focus, and um, really doing a lot of work with artificial insemination um, at that time that. It, they really started to advance. Um, I've been on milk test in Ohio um, and uh, actually uh, on milk test group with Yvonne Blosser, who is a district four uh, director. Yeah. Um, you know, we were on the same uh, milk test group. We had a very large, you know, and back in the, in the late eighties and nineties, you know, this just, just tells you how, um, how only recently our ADGA programs have really grown. We had our milk test group, involved eight counties i mean it was really oh yes eight counties and so it was it was very widespread to find enough people who wanted to participate okay i mean it, it was you know very widespread out and so you know it was nothing to have an hour and a half drive one way to milk test someone else and that's not an embellishment i mean we had um, Yvonne is in Defiance County and um, Karen Kimberly, um, she's in Williams County. Um, I was in Henry County. Um, and then Sidney uh, Craig's in Allen County, two counties south of me, uh, Van Wert County. I mean, it's all over. Um, and so so that's how, how expansive just to be to be part of this, because back then it was very difficult to get a cattle tester to want to um, test your goats. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's hard. It and then the same thing is. with the appraisal program. Um, my appraisal stop, um, I would go to, um, when I first had my goats appraised, um, we would have to go to um, my friend Mary Lou Holisher Yoder in Cardington, Ohio. And um, that was over a two-hour drive one way. And there was no one else appraised in Northwest Ohio. 
And so, you know, it's just, it just really shows how, how the program in the beginning, um, that's why when you look at the data to create our type evaluations, to create our heritability calculations, um, it took six years of data to get enough to create our heritabilities. We score more than triple that in one year now. Just in 2021, we scored more than double that in, in only a two-thirds of a year. So, so the astronomical growth of participation is really something. Um, and so I, you know, I feel fortunate to have really been a part of that whole arc of it. And, you know, and often being in the shadows of icons, you know, as a, as a child, um, you know, helping people show and, you know, like a lot of 4-Hers are, you're, you're there as the help and, um, but, you know, if you're lucky, you get to help, you know, really knowledgeable people. Um, I never got to go to a national show until 1993 um, the set for the second Harrisburg show. Um, so the national show was sort of this enigma that I only knew of from Dairy Go Journal or United Capri News. And you didn't know about that until like two months later, right? When right. It yeah. <laughs> hit, hit the presses. So so I remember, you know, the slow times of Dairy Goats and and now fast forward to instantaneous Facebook Live and live streaming of uh, national show and state fairs. So, so it's been you know quite the whole arc. Um, and then um, you know, and I I would really say um, for one of the best things that I ever did was um, I was very fortunate um, with the people that I helped um, long ago, and then some of them did become. Um, committee chairman and large committees and maybe and directors and they knew that I was interested and and I'd asked to be on the sire development committee and so I I really feel that I'm only where I am today because of being allowed to be part of the sire development committee over 30 years ago um, and that the Sire Development Committee doesn't exist any longer. It's now enveloped inside of the Genetic Advancement Committee. Um, right. And that's why new members might not have any idea, what are you talking about, Sire Development? Um, so that's that's included in Genetic Advancement now. But um, that really was on the, the beginning, the cusp of, you know, creating our programs. Um, our first genetic evaluations were in 1986. Um, and then we went to the um, animal model from the Sire model. So in 95. And so... So that's really changed. So that kind of really has helped me. But, you know, I've been, you know, kind of a goat nerd my whole uh, adult life. I've done this my whole adolescent and adult life. And right now I'm only on a couple committees now. I'm not on, I'm trying to take a step back. I retired um, from federal service um, in June. And so I would like to enjoy um, or get caught up on things. Um, enjoy my goat. <laughs> yeah. um, so so I, I used to be on judges training uh uh, and I stepped off of that, but then I got asked to be on the show's committee and I reluctantly said, sure. After I was asked for a couple of years. So I'm on the show's committee. Um, I stepped away from genetic advancement, um, and I'm on the, I am committee this year. Um, so that's kind of new to be on. I am in the show. So those are two new committees. And then, um, I was recently elected to the executive committee. So I've only been on the executive committee for like three and a half weeks. Um, so right. Happy about old stuff. I wasn't part of it. Um, so, 
I'm, yeah, I'm green. I'm a freshman. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so now, so now I'm on the forty I'm, years. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I don't. Hey, I've never had. I've never had any responsibility. No. Um, <laughs> I just have been the. I have been the the annoying squeaky wheel for sadly decades. And you know, and I'm so, and I have big feet. And you know, and I have stuck these big suckers in my mouth way too many times. And yeah, I, I <laughs> and I'm just so embarrassed about my terrible twenties and my excited thirties and and why couldn't have I, you know, had a more um uh how should I say a more uh measured approach to things earlier, but you know some good things come to those who wait perhaps. But, uh, so yeah, so I, um, now I've, you know, I'm a ex officio on finance committee. So, so you get a little bit more knowledge, um, or I should say a little bit more, um, up to date information, you know, prior release, you know, before the full board hears, um, but the board hears everything, you know, at the board meeting and the mid-year reports and certainly encourage all the members listening that, you know, this is a member-driven organization, whether you are happy or unhappy or you have new ideas or you don't care and you're, you just want papers. Um, but just, you know, read the mid-year minutes and read the end-of-year minutes and just think of how that impacts you. And if you have an idea, you know, there's ways to reach out to committee chairs or your director and um and and to have a way to participate um so that's just you know there is a way for everyone to participate and maybe it's not participate in all the programs in one year can be kind of you know daunting for new members but Mm -hmm. there's a way to be keep to be kept informed and and to participate so that way you can you know have the association help you in your own personal dairy goat endeavor goals yeah, I agree. I, my eyes definitely were opened quite a bit when I joined uh, my first committees this year. And I was like, oh, I'm like, oh, this is people are doing a ton of work behind the scenes. So I what would committee encourage are you anybody uh, publicity, breed standards and scholarships. Oh, you're getting your feet wet. Pretty good there. That's a, that's yeah. a good diversity. I'm doing, I'm doing what I can, <laughs> but it, it's, it's definitely, I would suggest anybody listening that if you've ever wanted to help out, uh, these committees are awesome and, and it's a lot of work, but it's, it's good work. So Mark, you didn't mention what year, at least maybe I missed it, but, uh, what year you became an appraiser. Hmm. Let me think about that. Um, I, it was, I believe uh, 20, well, so the process of being an appraiser, I guess I don't necessarily count the training years because not until mm-hmm. you kind of like have your training wheels taken off and you do your own trip. Um, right. So, so I start, so I had been on the linear appraisal committee back in the nineties uh, in 1996 and 1997 um, back when appraisers were independent contractors. So, you know, I've, been on the committee off and on for a number of years and I've gone to refresher um, for many times at different locations before ever being a, an, an appraiser. But um, the one year I was, um, uh, well, my first year on the board um, and that was, a, I believe that was in 2013 or 2012, um, 
it was a, a Boise convention and um, I was told, oh, you're approved to go to the refresher in, in the spring. And I said, oh, okay. And I thought that was, oh, because I'm a new director. You know, I thought that was just part of, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know? And so, um, so there's, a, it, there's a funny backstory that's, um, that um, there's some miscommunication about different things. Anyway, so I went to the refresher in that, uh, that spring and it was in uh, North Carolina and there was about four of us as uh, candidates, and and I went there, and, and I I said to go, oh, I'm here to help out, and they go, no, you're a candidate, and I said, oh, um, so I was a little unprepared and a little green. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like most then, people um, cram before that. <laughs> yeah, I was a little green, and um, anyway, um, so uh, that's kind of a funny story. Um, it is a true story, um, but it's kind of funny, um, and uh, so. It, uh, anyway, so I went through that, and so I was approved for training um, with a couple of other individuals. And um, so a year and a half later, I finished my training. And um, so it's been about, I've done about six seasons, six or seven seasons of independent trips now. Um, and then I retired, as I said, from federal service um, last year. And so I did um, about three times the number of days last year because I, I, had, the, I had the time off. I, I could do it. Um, and so then, so this year, um, uh, is another, probably another year where I'll do a few more days than, um, I normally would have. Um, there's a, um, the, the sharp trip scheduling is just starting, um, to unfold right now as far as the calendar and, um, the PPM is working on that now. So, so I've done it, you know, not quite just under 10 years right now. So, okay. um, as far as my seniority number though, um, goes of active appraisers, I'm number three, um, okay. right now. So that really tells you how green our, you know, our whole cadre is, um, we have, you know, some with incredible service and over 50,000 animals and over 20, we have two employees that have over two decades of service. Um, and then we have a yeah. big drop and then we get down to, oh, we have, you know, we have two that have over 20 and everyone else has 10 or less. So that's just kind of the, um, where that all falls into as far as field experience, but certainly everyone has more than just appraisal experience as well. No, a hundred percent. And kind of going to the idea we kind of wanted to talk to you about, with your background of having this herd, I feel like you're pretty much the poster child for performance program success with your herd. And then, you know, the background of being an appraiser, I feel like we can really pick your brain about how this works from a breeder perspective, where we can go with using data and performance programs to better our herd. So the first thing on that topic I kind of wanted to talk about, if it was okay, was you mentioned it briefly, but walk us through the, your performance history, your performance program history with your herd. Okay. Um, well, I have participated in um, every one of Adga's performance programs that Adga has ever had. Um, and so I've, my, the very first performance programs that I would have ever participated in would have been a one day milk test. So one day milk test really is just kind of getting your feet wet, right? Because right. it just, it, it really isn't data that's truly usable, but I mean, it, it, it's kind of like wets your appetite. It's like, okay, 
So if you get an easy star, well, maybe go and test for at least 215 days so we can have a lactation to compare. So, so I started a one-day milk test. Um, and then, as I said, I had my herd classified um, in 1986. So that's my first type appraisal. Um, then I went on milk test probably in the, it was in the 90s. Um, and so that, and that was on, on group test. Um, and so really what I always like to tell people is, you know, if you have a choice um, or if you have to, if you have to make a choice and you, you know, you money, you know, you have to budget things accordingly, go on milk test every year and only appraise every other year or, or appraise only every three years. And you'll be just fine. You'll collect enough data. You'll be just fine. Um, and then I have had every buck I've ever owned um, blood typed. And so blood typing is a precursor to DNA typing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had two different vendors. So um, blood typing we had in the late 80s that started. And then um, that was actually collecting vial blood and sending it in. So that's all only historical. Um, that's uh, from a laboratory called Imgen. So if you look at Antigen Genetics and you see uh, an a, the letter F, like Frank, or that means it's on file. It can't be used for um, parentage verification. So I, I have blood typed and DNA typed um, since the beginning. I have, you know, I can go back to, I can't go back to those original goats. I didn't, sadly, I didn't save hair on those goats in the 1980s, um, those experimentals. <laughs> but um, I have some that are eight and nine generations of DNA typed parentage verified animals. And so, for me, I mean, there's no question. I mean, I have American Alpines. There's no question my goats are Alpines. I mean, there's there's not any other breed in 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 that that forest there. But um, <laughs> so so I have participated in those programs for a long time. And I, you know, milk testing is all dependent on, you know, some years I've been on standard tests. I did do an ITP one year. I I did owner sampler, and I after I did it, I was furious. I did it. Um, <laughs> I know a few people that, that I was that furious with. That. I was furious with myself that I did it, yeah. and um, and so and that's the other thing because um, a lot of people, which test plan do you go? Should I go on? And it's like, well, what are your goals? I mean, what do you want to do? I mean, if you just want to star, that's okay. You got lots of choices, but you know, if you want top ten, okay, these are your options. Or for me, I wanted the lifetime production record, you know, and so. I didn't keep my goats in, in mill. I got their star, but, um, and I, yeah, I saved money because I was on an owner sampler, but um, I didn't, I didn't keep track well enough to that. They were in milk for enough days. And so because of that, it was a, an ITP ST standard test instead of an AR advanced registry. So I kind of said, well, that isn't worth it to me. I'd rather pay the more money. I'd rather right. pay more money and have a standard tester or, lose a whole weekend and drive and, and milk test for someone else and group test because I wanted the, I wanted the whole um, uh, lifetime production um, record because that's, you know, that's what you really need when you've been in the game for decades. You know, when you have, I mean, I have some lines that are 14 generations I bred and, um, and when you have type records or milk records for, 12 of those re- those generations that's how you yeah. can really tell and if you have a library semen tank of old you know 
um, in a different box. I mean, that's how you can decide, it, help you in your decision making. Do you go back in time? Do you not? Do you let that go? Or, you know, that helps you in your decision making. But so to me, you know, so our performance programs as they are in 2022, obviously, DHIR, Dairy Herd Improvement uh, Registry, so milk testing. Um, so I'm on a, I am, I am on a group test now. Um, and then uh, linear appraisals type component. And then, you know, uh, DNA typing for parentage verification, you know, just because, you know, not through maliciousness or anything, but, you know, hey, I went to refresher. Someone else fed my goats. You know, there was a goat in heat. I mean, things can happen. I mean, no one's trying right. to do anything malicious, but you just, you know, good record keeping. And so every goat that I have um, that is uh, two years and older is all uh, DNA typed and all my bucks are. And you know, certainly when I advocate, you know, anyone who has bucks, you know, um, definitely get your bucks DNA typed before you use them for breeding season. Because if there's a problem, you know, then it's better to, that'll help you in your decision making on which bucks to use. Mm-hmm. down the road but yeah so that's you know that's my history with performance programs my plans for um this year is um you know i offer dna typing um to all of my customers you know if they want to go um to be dna typed and um you know if they want their the animal they purchase to be dna typed and if um the parent well if the dam wasn't typed already like if it's out of milk and urine i'm willing to pay for the dam to be mel- to be um DNA types so they can have a parentage verification. You know, I think that just, you know, that's customer service and, and help um, to, you know, show my brand. Um, and then, um, you know, I'm a, I'll be on milk test this year and we'll see how the appraisal schedule looks like maybe in September. Um, if there's uh, enough uh, available days, um, maybe this uh, part of the country will be done again. So that, that's my plans for this year. For sure. So, for those that don't know, what is the 40-40-40 term you've coined in regards to mammary systems? And where did the idea come from? Speaking of your brand, I feel like I think this is a great segment because um, I'll let you talk about it, Mark. But I definitely think you are known now as the 40-40-40 breeder. Yeah. Well, that's awesome because I would hope so. <laughs> because i've saw you know on facebook feuding i mean someone i saw someone um said it was was hogwash or whatever and that's okay if someone thinks it's hogwash it's fine but i did create it i mean i i didn't read it somewhere i just had this epiphany and so so for me um so it is three linear traits so in the appraisal program um, there are 13 primary traits, and those primary traits are given a number from 1 to 50. And and so in the standard operating procedure, it explains, you know, how, how each trait is, is scored. And so in mammary system, how I, I breed for um, dairy goats with the ideal of the definition of uh, final score 93 and final score 94 and final score 95. And so I look at those and to me, it's, you know, it, it kind of just sets the roadmap. And then when you also read our guidebook in the memory system, it kind of just solidifies that because the appraisal program, you know, you know, correlates with our um, guidebook as well, as far as, an, you know, point allocation. 
And mm-hmm. so when you look at, you know, final score 93, um, these are animals that exhibit a combination of exceptional characteristics, uh, desirability of dairy form, structural correctness, strength, and capacity. And those animals at that elite score, um, they're moving with ease and balance while maintaining a mammary system that is exceptional in its structure. And so to me, what is exceptional? And, you know, as compared to, oh, that's good. Oh, that's very good. Oh, that's excellent. But that's exceptional. And when I walk into a show ring or when someone comes to my farm, I want someone to be excited. I want them to say, oh, yeah, that's who I want to get a buck out of. I mean, that's exceptional. I mean, so is it so sort of emotional, right? So when you go to the national show and you go to Harrisburg this year and you see that goat walk around the ring and you may not know who it is, but you say, I want to find out what that pedigree is because I want something like that. And so, so what is that numerically? So what is exceptional to you? So for me, when I looked at the memory system and you look at the scorecard, well, the highest point, uh, so a 35-point memory system, um, the highest uh, subpart is uh, utter support, 13 points. And well, well, that's not anything to get excited about because, you know, you don't want um, too much utter cleft, right? So that'd be, so, so utter support is basically scored on the appraisal program um, by medial suspensory ligament, or and then utter depth, right? Height of the utter floor above the hock, those two traits. Mm-hmm. That's just not really anything that um, you can really say is exceptional as far as in um, strength or quality. Um, certainly, you know, a flat utter floor and an inverted rounded utter floor isn't what you want, but too much cleft is, you know, you're l- losing capacity. So then you look at the second highest um, point, uh, total and memory system, that's rear utter attachment. So there's two components for rear utter attachment. So rear utter height and then rear utter arch. And so really, so I, in my history in dairy goats, that's the real, that's the real change. Um, in show goats and highly functional goats of the 2020s compared to the 1970s and 1980s. So if you look at old dairy goat journal um, uh, pictures of ads, from the 1960s and 70s and how proud members were to place ads for their their milkers that milked over 20 pounds a day and that is and that is exceptional production it is but what was the quality of that mammary system in the 1960s and 70s those were were does that you had to go to caprine supply and buy an utter support bra yeah yeah. There's a reason that thing is in the catalog there. There it right. And so so but now the amazing thing is is now you look at our top 10 records now and the show goats can milk now. And so I remember as a youth, you know, there would be larger herds who would say, "Oh, this is my show string and but my milking string, they stay at home." And it's like, "Well, you don't need to have two. You know, your show goats can milk. I mean, they can. You just have to select for it. And so to me, that's the real difference is strength of rear udder. And it's it's the capacity of the rear udder arch. That's the, the game changer. And 
I have some data to support that to um, to explain too. So, so the forty 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 is rear order height, rear order arch, and four order attachment, four order extension. Those three things, because to me that's what gets people excited. And I know that in my early career, um, you know, in uh, competing in showmanship competitions as a youth in the nineteen eighties, you know, you had to know the scorecard. Well, the scorecard changed in 1989, and so the mammary system changed. And so back then, the whole emphasis on four-order attachment, because many goats had pocketed four-orders. I mean, every one of my first couple of, I mean, probably the first three generations of goats that I ever had, they all had pockets um, where I could stick my whole fist in the four-order. And so it was very common to have pocketed four-orders. So the whole... The whole emphasis um, early on was improving forwarder attachment. And um, earlier, the scorecard had equal points for forwarder and rear order. And then the change in 1989, rear order had more points. So we're at our current um, allocation of seven points for rear order, um, six for forwarder. Um, so there's a little change there. Um, and so the whole dimension when it comes to capacity, so if you have that extreme height and width and the extension of four otter and security of four otter, that kind of allows you to maximize your um, surface area. And, you know, it's kind of like you can't, you can't fit a gallon of milk into, you know, um, you, you, you can't get the capacity and, the, and you can't have that capacity in such a small container. So if you have the dimensions, you can have the capacity. So the the forty 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 is uh, rear to height, rear to arch, and forder attachment, and then you add some other things to it. And to me, that that's what those are the three things that really make an exceptional mammary system. Not 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 just good, not acceptable, or good, or good plus, or very good, right? Or well, that's excellent. It's I want it to be exceptional. I want no question, and because. You know, because that's what that's what's fun. You know, after all these years, you know, I've I've had those acceptable letters. I don't want them anymore. I mean, I don't need him. So, <laughs> so that's sort of how I look at it, and and that's all fits within you know our literature that we have. And so, so when we look at data um, for those traits, um, you know, and and you can compare in uh, with cattle industry cattle classification programs as well. Um, you know, and there is correlations to to those different traits and having higher um, milk production as well. Right, and and having that higher milk production and focusing on that forty forty forty, how does that correlate to other linear traits? So correlate in what way? Like when you're say you're looking for a wider uh, arch, are you selecting animals in your breedings that might have a wider rump or like, is there any correlation of what you're selecting like deeper bodied animals so that you don't get those pockets? Uh, was there like a certain, like, I guess like a, a rubric that you were working off of to try to pull it all together. Right. So there's, there are genetic correlations, um, that have been, um, you know, through different um, studies, uh, Journal of Dairy Science has had this, you know, so rump structure definitely is indicative um, of rear to height and rear to arch. 
Um, so that definitely is so rump with so I, the rump kind of is the house for the mammary system, you know, up above, and and yes. so that kind of dictates. Um, you and I have an issue where I have some goats where I'm getting the width to the rear outer arch, but the pelvic structure, the rump structure, maybe not be as equally as wide. So their ease of locomotion, how they travel around the mammary system isn't as fluid or ease of motion. So you can have an imbalance. So you can have a rear outer arch that is extremely wide. So it's not, it doesn't always hundred percent go hand in hand. Oh, you must have the rump or you will never get the rear outer arch. That's not true. I would be lying if I said that Um, because I can, I can, tell you i mean i have pictures of goats that the mammary i mean a still life picture is great but i mean but you'll see a little bit of movement because the leg has to swing around and so that so for for judges out there when you're watching goats you know walk away from you so what is you know is it the is it the legs fault is it the rumps fault i mean you know well it's the rump because it's the leg hinges off of the pelvis right and so right. you don't say oh she's hockey it's like she's not hockey she doesn't have a good, wide enough pelvis and go and then you know secondary thing is like oh is that go to a hard kidder and you know there's all you know secondary issues too but um right so rump structure definitely does go with um the rear arch um you know as far as other traits you know those are the three that kind of, um, you know, are, to me are the exciting factors. Then, then you add in other components, you know, or I guess would be secondary traits. Like rear or side view is a secondary trait, but, you know, you definitely inside profile, you want to be able to see capacity. You should see a third of the capacity inside profile, but you don't want to see so much that protrudes beyond the vulva. So you would never want a rear or side view score of a 40. You wouldn't, because that would mean, oh, it protrudes beyond the vulva. And so that isn't aesthetically pleasing, and that's mm-hmm. not the correct shape. So so you would not want, you would want to cap off your excited, you know, your exceptional score for rear to side view would be no higher than a 35. And then utter depth. Well, to have the capacity, well, you have all the height and you have the four utter extension, but how deep is it? But you don't want that utter floor to be below the hock. Right. And, and right. so utter floor at the hock right now is a 20 score. Um, but, you know, you want the teat to be, at least in standard breed goats, you know, teat not to be, you know, a 25 would be two and a half inch long teat. So if the entire mammary system to be held well above the hock, which that is in the scorecard, that it's exactly what it says, the entire mammary system held well above the hock. Well, well above the hock is an utter depth score of 35, which is four inches above the hock. Which so that means the orifice of a two and a half inch long teat would even be above the hock. And so I don't know. I think that that hopefully maybe our type committee will um, reassess and take the word well off of that. Um, so so you kind of have to, when you look at all the literature and the guidebook under it and the, the description of the mammary system and how the appraisal program um, scores these animals, um, and so to looking for exceptional traits and they are correlated to production. So that's just kind of how, um, you know, I've come to that personal conclusion. And, and the other fun thing is, is when you, when you see these animals, um, that have this, they are rare. Um, and it's, and that's exciting. I think it's wonderful. I mean, it's rare. I mean, do you know how rare they are? 
Well, or do you I haven't had one yet. yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know. So so in 2021, last year, um, there were 5,728 senior does appraised that had a type record go to the CDCB, the Council on Dairy Cattle Breeding. Okay. Mm-hmm. 5728. Want to venture a guess? How many go? How, how many of those does had a forty, forty, forty? Uh, maybe four hundred. Oh, I'm saying three. Well, well, Danielle's doing much better than you are, Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, you know, I'm being <laughs> optimistic here, right? Here, John. Yeah. So, so she can du- she can double that. Glasses. Yeah. <laughs> so so you can double your number and add two. Okay. Eight. okay. So there were eight goats. Last and can I say. ask how many were in? Did your herd get appraised, and how many were in your herd? Um. So, um. Yes, my herd was appraised last year. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, just to be, there were of those eight goats, one was a Nigerian dwarf. So yes, Nigerian dwarfs, you know, can have that dimension. That yes, they can. Yeah. Um. One was a Nigerian dwarf. Um, two were Sonnens, um, one was a Nubian, and the rest were Alpines. And um, three of those were mine. And I had one more that scored a 39 in um, Reardon Arch, and, or she would have. And all those, all eight does, um, one was a first freshening two-year-old, the Nubian, and she was final score 89 but wow. all the others, the other seven scored ninety through ninety four final score, and so those are exception. You know, those are exceptional traits of mammary system. Yeah. Um, now that doesn't mean that you know you could have a goat that has a forty 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 with a flat outer floor and the teeth sticking out east and west. You know, now that you know wouldn't necessarily be that would be detracting from um, the forty trifecta. That's what I kind of call it, um, but. Uh, no, they are rare, but my other belief is is that when you get that, that it's kind of fun, and then to look at the pedigree and see where it comes from. And so I have the lowest heritability trait is reardon arch, and that's really that's the hard one, you know, to improve. So if if you're if you hear this conversation, you say, oh, okay, I'm going to see if I can make one of these, or you know, and so. If you don't have it already, it's it's really hard. You can get the re- you can improve rear udder height and you can improve four udder. I totally believe you can. Rear udder arch is a really long haul game. It, it has the lowest heritability of any linear trait. Rear udder arch does, and so in my breeding program, um, for anyone who follows or whatever, they might not be surprised. I don't sell any doe kids out of that line. I don't. I keep them. Oh. I mean, because to me, I don't have those goats. I don't have to breed for mammary. I, I, so for those goats, those are the goats that I breed for a wider romp. Those are the goats that I breed for improving the rear leg and the locomotion. Those goats, it's kind of like, oh, the mammary is an automatic 9 out of 10. So to me, that's why it's like, oh, not for sale. I mean, that's just, right. that's just me. You know, but so that's kind of how I look at it because I find it in, um, and I've had the opportunity to to see this in, you know, I had a spotlight seal doe um, that I sold a few years ago and she's had a good show career and her daughter was the reserve national champion this year. And, and those, you know, those goats are in the same family 
you know, that in, in my dough line that can do this. And so it, so it's kind of, it's very interesting. They all have, you know, one year or another, they've all, they've all made that benchmark. Maybe, maybe not in the same year, all three were over 40, but like, you know, oh, she was like a 38 in rear arch last year. And this year she's a 40, but now this year they put her a 39 and 40, you know, and you're going to run into that because appraisers, you know, they're human beings. And so there's a standard deviation that, you know, a senior appraiser would be off by three points from each other on a linear trait, only mm-hmm. one category um, and a structural trait or final category. Um, so, so that's understandable. I mean, you know, this isn't, you know, dairy goats being scanned by a, an, an iPad and, and, you know, doing these precise methods. <laughs> they are he, human beings, not because people want to rip you off or, you know, they're doing the best they can in the conditions that they're scoring. And so, so there is, you know, you have to kind of look at, um, if you take a standard deviation there, of course, would be more than eight goats that would qualify, but it certainly would helps you narrow your focus. If for your breed, if this is something that you want to concentrate on. And for me personally, you know, it's, we have, um, other placings at local shows and national shows and state fairs. There, there's extra awards and, you know, for best utter. So there's other ways to have acknowledgement for your breeding program, um, especially, you know, if you start from such humble beginnings um, that you don't believe that the big prize is within your reach, maybe you can get a smaller prize along the way. And so, so that's kind of been my focus, you know, for, you know, three decades of adult breeding dairy goats is, is that, well, trust me, I mean, I, I grew up under the shadow of icons, you know, um, that's like, I never had a dream of, you know, having a national champion. I mean, like, you know, I just wanted to have a class winner. I mean, and that took a long time to happen. So, you know, you have incremental goals. And for me, just to get a ribbon for an utter placing, you know, was a true victory. And so, and I do feel our appraisal program, we have so many metrics um, that that is the best thing that you you can do. Any member can improve mammary system and production through our performance programs. You know, improving general appearance is, is a harder study with our, our current program. But mammary system with the linear traits that we have and milk testing, you know, you definitely can improve a mammary system um, with, with the program that we have in place today. Um, and I think, hopefully, um, with um, some minor tweaks. Um, as soon as 2025, we're going to really be able to um, help members with that, with some uh, modern enhancements to the program that may be unveiled sooner than later. No, that's great. And I have to say, so part of the reason when we were talking about guests and who we were going to bring on, I suggested you because at the convention this year, I attended the LA workshop. And beforehand, I had participated in linear appraisal. I have been on milk tests for years and always kind of had a hard time wrapping my head around the strengths of each program and how they combined with each other. And then I think you gave an impromptu presentation when we had time to fill of something you had done before um, at another event, basically talking about how you can relate the data that you get in the mammary system from linear appraisal and those milk records. And can you just kind of talk through that a little bit? So there is, um, 
so there's a study um, that had been done by um, our retired uh, performance programs manager, uh, Lisa Shepard. And so if you, you take milk records and you filter them out for at least does in milk who have, so if you ever see uh, the letter, three letters D-I-M, D- that stands for days in milk. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least 207, so a full lactation would be 305 days in milk. Well, you know, often without fail, you know, you have a doe that only has a 304 day lactation or a 303 day lactation. You know, you dry her off a day earlier, you do the math wrong. So the parameter is for 275 days in milk to 305. And so you take all those and then for those milk records that also have a linear appraisal scoring from that same lactation year, okay? And so looking at some core things um, that you can find an average um, milk production by breed. And this there's a chart on the ADGA website. And I know it can be kind of difficult to find um, sometimes with the current management of the website. But if you click on performance programs and if you look at, um, I think, under production and then You'll find your way there. Um, if I can find it quick, I'll send you guys a link so you can put it on um, in your okay. comment. Um, but so what it, it correlates to is certain body. So I have, um, I wanted to ask where you first heard of my 40 trifecta because I have on other philosophies as well. I have a, I have a 30 plus in the first five traits philosophy. I'm only for Alpines. I, I'm just talking as an Alpine breeder. Um, also, Lamaches too is my philosophy with them. Um, so, strength, um, stature, strength. Um, I believe uh, daringness. No, no, no I'm, I'm sorry. Stature, strength, rump width, rear udder height, rear udder arch, and fore udder. Those six linear traits. And then when you combine, and then when you take all those milk records that had at least 275 days in milk. You know, you're going to find that does that have at least a baseline number of of a 20, 28 in rump width, those goats typically milk at least 3,000 pounds. So there is, you can, you can get some benchmarks for certain um, type traits because that, dairy form has the frame that can support a lactation with with you know adequate management and feed of course um Mm -hmm. that can be this productive so there is some research on that um what hopefully we will you know what was included in the linear appraisal summit in strategic planning is also asking for um research for nigerian dwarfs we don't have that for nigerian dwarfs at this time However, that current chart is broken down by breed. Um, you know, there is the most Alpines and Sonnens that um, fit that criteria. Um, but, you know, you can see what the average Oberhasley um, that meets these benchmarks, you know, and if she has at least, you know, this score, you know, this is what you could expect. And so that kind of helps, you know, maybe in an initial, you know, we have many members who are maybe contemplating, you know, having a commercial enterprise and, you know, for their budgetary planning, you know, so what type of seed stock would they need to procure? 
um, what would they need to look into? You don't have to actually participate through appraisal. You can appraise goats yourself. I mean, you know, you can measure a rump and, yeah. um, you know, reading the SOP, you don't have to have an effect, you know, but you need an, um, to advertise, you need an unbiased opinion, but for your own use. And if you're going to buy breeding stock at someone's farm, you can kind of, you know, you know, do your own personal appraisal of it, but there is, you know, there is correlation to milk production with uh, different type traits. And that's done consistently with different cattle classification programs as well. Yeah, you, know, you got to have a big frame to to support that that big car, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the garage has to be big enough. Um, and it's it's interesting how much data input you put into this. Um, Daniel, you want to go ahead and ask? I know this is one of your... Yeah, no, so, but let me just really quick before I go into the next kind of little topic, um, going into that data and production, it also helps when you have, maybe if you just have linear appraisal records on an animal, but then you're looking to buy maybe a buck from her and the breeder is saying she milks a gallon a day, but there's no concrete... (laughs) evidence on what she produces and you have a picture but it's just a one-dimensional picture you don't see okay maybe she has a beautiful side profile but that rump is only five inches long the date having the idea that there's a correlation between milk records and linear traits you can then go okay where should she be with the correct management production wise to kind of really help you make those decisions or verify milk. I'm going to say it. I apologize, everyone can of worms, verify milk records that are, um, you know, being put out there as well that we're seeing this, but our unbiased appraisal opinion is coming in and saying this and maybe those records don't quite match up exactly what they should be. Well, and that's why I always tell um, people who inquire about buying breeding stock from me, I go, well, you don't have to listen to me. You can look at the records and, you know, if you have a question, you can ask a question. But I mean, and so I have, you know, I, I'm milking six right now. They're all um, does that were AI breedings and, and uh, I have bought kids available from two different does and this one customer, they have they're they're nerve they're excited and they're nervous because the doe that they want to get a buck out of she's not due for next month and and he says well what if she doesn't have a buck kid maybe I should just buy this buck kid you got right now I go you can it's available because I just can't believe it's not I can't believe someone hasn't sold hasn't bought it and I go like eh? and he goes well but you know you know the only thing is she just her milk record I go yeah I know she's my worst milker. I go and look at her utter death score that, you know, kind of matches, doesn't it? I mean, right. So things need to, it, it kind of it puts things in check. You can't have a 4,000 pound milk record with an utter depth score of a 50. I'm sorry. You right. can't, There's you can't no have, you can't have a 5,000 pound milk record with a rear utter side view score of a 19. Because 19 means you see no mammary system behind the rear leg. And that means yeah. that you're losing a whole third of the capacity. You can't. I mean, and so, so that that's where member education, you know, and then, and then taking into context, you know, time of year and, um, you know, seasonal um, changes, but it's like, 
you know, there's ways to use the appraisal program um, and and look at because anyone who's on milk tests, they're going to have a milk test, you know, at a minimum every 75 days. And if they want a high data collection rating, they're going to have a milk test every month. And so, you know, they're going to have a milk test within, you know, 30 days of that appraisal. And it's all free information. Just, you know, get a username and password at CDCB. And if they're on mm-hmm. milk test, you can look and see, oh, so your utter depth score was a, oh, it was a 20. Okay, makes sense. That goat milk 6,000 pounds a year. And um, her utter floor is at the hock. Yep, I can believe that. That makes sense. That's a hardworking <laughs> goat. It is, but I want, yeah. but Hey, I, I, I want my utter floors above the hawk. And so uh, I like the production. Maybe I'll go for a 4,000 pound milker instead of a 5,000 pound milker to be the mother of my next herd sire. And so you can kind of, you know, these are all just different, you know, processes of elimination or selection um, for whatever your goals are, you know, and, and, you know, whether they're commercial or hobbyist, um, goals, you know, there's different ways to analyze this and use it, but yeah, you can use, you can use that data, you know, to help validate, um, and, uh, um, accentuate, you know, high performing animals. Yeah. And let's also talk about the data and how use you use it. So at that workshop, I feel like I kind of caught a glimpse into the Mark Baden spreadsheet world and, it was crazy. I felt I beforehand was using Agda Genetics enough and, you know, using that data. And then I looked in probably what was a five, 10 minute talk about how you use the data that's available for you to work, focus on your breedings. And it was just, you know, night and day from what a lot of people use that data on. So do you mind just kind of walking through your briefly walking through that process of what data you use, how you kind of put it into a spreadsheet and what you get out of that spreadsheet? Well, you know, Genetics is a great tool that everyone enjoys, um, you know, and Gene Dershowitz has, you know, been a great steward of providing this information in a cooperative agreement with the American Dairy Good Association every year. Um, and he's made enhancements to it, um, that have worked and, uh, and what I, uh, one thing that I always advocate is, you know, you have to create your own advocate genetics account. Um, make sure you do that. Um, and, uh, he has, I'm sure he has some tutorials on how to do it and you have to enter in all your pet, you know, you have to enter it, save your pedigrees. So that way you can, you know, create your lists and things like that. Um, but, uh, what I, do um, is from sire selection. I, I, I think that you're talking about this, um, the uh, PowerPoint on um, uh, breeding for weirder heights, maybe. It was pro- probably that it was, it was definitely focused on sire selection. I know there was, I probably was a rear utter height example. And basically you used your data to select from three different bucks that you wanted. Okay. To yeah. Play. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a fun example. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, what I did was um, yeah, there was a rear under height, and so and it also dealt with correlation. So um, so what I I always tell people, um, you know, when I, I try to look at everything as a breeder, and that you know, what are your two goals for mammary system and your two goals in general appearance? You know, um, 
that you want for this buck to do because you know there's give and take you know you hope you get everything but you know you know, there's always going to be some deficiencies um, in a in a mating, and so so that correlation was um, was actually doing um, uh, rear to height and arch and rump width and uh, rump angle um, on that correlation because uh, there's data to show that you know it's kind of like you know buy one get one free you know when you get this you're probably going to get this as well um, and so what I do is. Um, so in Adga genetics, what you can do is, um, you know, you can obviously, there's different ways you can sort data. Um, so mm-hmm. I have in my own thing is I, I copy it. So that way I'm more savvy with Excel because I can, I like to do different um, matings for each of my senior does. My first plan every year is I AI every one of my senior does that uh, I try to breed them all to proven sires. And I know that's not exciting. Some people don't find, you know, uh, that to be inspirational or out of the box breeding by not using, you know, young herd sires, but I have a very well, small herd. And um, yeah. for me, I, I don't freshen 10 milking yearlings a year. I don't freshen eight. I don't even freshen five. I don't have a lot of options. And so I'm going to freshen four. And so I need to have a starlet out of one of those four, or I'm going to be, you know, I'm not going to be in the game. And so for me, that's why I use proven genetics on my proven senior does that I know what they pass on to their offspring. So, which is, you know, my 40, 40, 40 goats. I mean, so that's just kind of, my obvious thing. Um, and, 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 um, cause it's like, well, I know I'm going to get that. So this is, it, it kind of, you know, limits my, my field, um, to, I feel have more success, but so I kind of like in, in that presentation, like, you know, I like to, um, in, in all these genetic breeding uh, seminars and uh, classes you go to at convention, it's all called sire selection, but I like to call it sire elimination. <laughs> I think that too many of our dairy goat friends are too easily distracted. And it's okay because everyone's got a different point of view. Um, you know, I'm an old dude with 40 years of experience. And the first 10 don't count. I wasn't an adult, you know, but, but you know, uh, but my whole adult life, you know, where I'm paying the feed bill and paying the mortgage and, you know, buying the semen and paying for the liquid nitrogen and stuff. I want this to work, but I've only got, you know, one out of four chance because I, I don't have a hundred acre farm and I don't, you know, I I can't freshen 50 goats. I don't have employees. You know, I don't have a milk check coming in. I got to go and commute an hour one way in rainy Seattle traffic. You know, so I, and, and I got to be able to milk my goats in it. So, so for me, you know, I need to my best odds. And so, sorry, elimination. And so, to me, it's going to, I never look at the goat's name. So, the first thing is I black out the herd names. I don't want to, I don't want to know the buck's names because we all have heard stories. We've all heard funny stories. We've all heard mean stories and whatever Facebook fury. Um, that you get distracted. And if you really want to breed quality genetics, you use the, the genetics that really are going to take you to get your goals and swallow your pride and you use what really works. I mean, that's my personal belief because I don't, you know, because otherwise I got a steeper hill to climb. 
you know, some people won't, I won't use her name XYZ. It's like, that's your choice. But you guess what? I'm gonna, because I think I can get there faster. And I'm going to, and that's what I did in La Mancha's when I had La Mancha's, I'm going like, I don't care. I'm going to use this. And it was fun. Because people tell me, oh, I'm not, oh, there's there's no milk records on that. I go, I don't care. I go, I go. there's this and this and this. And I, that tells me there's milk there. I don't care. Right. And so right. look what I made in five years. So I go like, uh, that can be, that can be your hindrance. That can be your roadblock. I'm fine with it. I'm going to, I'm just going to leap right over it. And so, so to me, you know, so with, that's why I put it in Excel because in Adga Genetics, you see the herd name right in front of you, and it will turn you off. It will, and it's, I, I hear you there. I really do. I mean, I think and it's so nice to be that. surprised once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> and you can and you can actually find maybe a brother or a half brother that maybe has a more palatable herd name if that's what you've got to do. There, there's ways to find it. But anyway, so I export it all into Excel so I can um, do some more searches. And and then, you know, I have, um, I mean, I've been collecting semen for a long time and buying more semen than I could ever use. And, and then I w- always have, you know, people who um, I always advocate, um, you know, you need to keep in your field of view, you know, your your competition or people who own bucks around you that, you know, you know, could use their bucks for stud service or that they would sell you semen on. So, you know, you can, you know, at least know what's on the horizon. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of incorporate all that as well. And I have my own little ranking system, but I would just would like to advocate that, you know, it's um, there are certain traits that um, that get better with age and development and so how do you know, oh, is this kind of mediocre number for this trait a good number? Well, in that case, you should be looking at PTAs, predicted transmitting ability. And so you have access to that on Adga Genetics. You have access to the raw score. Um, you have access to the PTA. And you have access to the reliability. So those are the three things that you can sort for on Adga Genetics when you're looking at all this data. So the choice is yours. You probably have only been breeding by raw score. We just, ANGA doesn't have uh, educational literature at this time to really help our members, you know, understand different breeding philosophies and ways to um, use our data. Um, you know, Holstein has this, these great workbooks, genetic workbooks, um, actually for their youth programs that, you know, you can kind of um, extrapolate for dairy goats. Uh, that would be really good um, if we could develop. Um, and maybe we will now that we have a communications director. So that'd be, you know, there's all the sky's the limit, all the things that we could do um, for the future. But so I, um, I kind of like to, in my spreadsheet, like, you know, sometimes I'm just going to, the easiest, you know, kind of sample would be, oh, um, I'm going to breed by the reliability. Well, the most reliable two bucks in all of goat dumb are, Hacienda Frosty Marvin and Nubians and Sodium Oxacin and Alpines. Okay. Yeah. They're the most, you know, reliable there is. However, those bucks are over 30 years old. And in contemporary, you know, dairy goat breeding, like I, I, I this is a true story. Um, I'm going to tell this because I think it's helpful. Um, and that this is in no way, I, I was the, 
the I scored a herd in 2021, and and they were very nice people. They were commercial operators, and they had they had okay goats. You know, they had some they had some nice goats, but they you know they they had a good range of animals. Okay, and then they after the session's over, then of course I want to talk about breeding. Well, of course, you know, appraiser's not supposed to. You know, no, I, I'm not the person, you know, I'm not here for that. I just gave you the numbers and um, right. you know, looking at genetics. And then, then, and so then the, the herd manager said, what do you think about, you know, breeding these goats to Frosty Marvin? And I, and I just, and all I did was I smiled and they said, oh, you don't like that? I go, no, that's not what I said. I'm going, it's 2021. <laughs> where's your breed now? I mean, I go, I go, and what do you need? I go, I go, is that, I go, so from what I've scored, are you going to get closer to what you want contemporarily now? Or, you know, so, so it's kind of, it's one of those things. So I know this is one of the things you had mentioned, but breeding for nostalgia. I mean, I'm guilty of that, you know, using old genetics, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and so that's, that's why I tried to tell this herd owner. I said, I go, you're breeding from nostalgia. I go, I totally get it. Let me tell you. I, I mean, I want to be able to prove to say, I know how to use these genetics in a positive forward moving way. I mean, I, so my, my biggest thrill is, you know, I used uh, Shanico Sumotiero. He's 1998 um, national show premier sire. Um, he's the sire of a national champion. Um Cherry Glenn, uh, T. Holly's Hope, and a uh, reserve national champion, uh, Paisley Park, uh, T. Kenya, uh, Lynn Benedicts, and uh, beautiful goats. And But that buck was bred in the 80s. And I got to tell you, I used that buck and used that buck. And I finally, finally made a nice daughter. She was second with first daughter milking yearling at the 19, uh, 2019 national show. But she looks very different. You know, and it was tough. And and every time I used Saison, I should have used him back when he could have made a difference. And, right. And I made goats that were final score 82 and 83. And I bred him to my best goat of all time at that time, a, a 93-point doe. And, and, the, and those goats were scored accurately. Those daughters were 82s, and they weren't going to get better. They weren't. They were not. And so, so using old genetics is, you know, kind of a time warp to an extent. What are you going back in time for? What was the base averages back then? Um, and so, you know, I'm kind of going off topic here, but you know, as far as no, like that's when, fine. when, um, when you look at as far as spreadsheets and that, so like I like to, you know. I like to look at all three different ways. Well, what's my best? I try to breed every one of my senior dose as if this is my last chance. This is the last time I'm ever going to maybe get a doe kid out of her. And so it's like, okay, if this is the last shot I've got. So I do it all three ways. Well, what's my rely- the highest reliability? Okay, well, if I go with safe, reliable, this is what I'm going to get. Um, it, so that's kind of tells you on that article and performance programs about, you know, um, breeding by the numbers kind of a thing. That's why ag is most reliable buck. That buck is really sodium oxacin's data is what that buck is. So that's kind of an insider story there. Um, anyway, um, so, so I look at, I breed by reliability. I breed by the daughter average score. And then I do another one by the PTA. 
And then once in a while, you find a buck that, oh, he's the best in all three methods. So that's kind of, you know, and and I have the luxury of, of a small herd. Like I'm only freshening like, I think, 14 goats this year. So, you know, and some of those are kids. So I'm talking, I only have to overanalyze like eight or nine goats, you know, with all this data. Right. Um, so, so it's easy for me. I don't have a herd of a hundred. I mean, oh my gosh. I mean, I wouldn't, I'd never eat. You know, I, I got <laughs> but um, so that's kind of, you know, my kind of like deep dive and spreadsheet world. And it's kind of fun. And the, th- the thing is, is that you really do have to go back and that's why I go back in time and see what were you thinking five years ago? Because, mm-hmm. oh, so five years ago when I made this beautiful four-year-old that I have now that's in milk, and it's like, oh, she's fully mature. Well, I think that's the other thing, you know, is our members get distracted, but they also forgot what was the whole purpose? Did you really get what you wanted? And it's like, so what was the criteria? And so in that presentation, you also saw as far as the goals go. So I have different tabs. So I certainly have it all tracked. And on my website, I track every one of my senior does PTIs. You know, for for both cycles, you know, there's two cycles a year in July and in November. And that's really what's going to show you, are these genetics getting better? Are they peaking early at at like age two and three and they're falling off of the cliff? You know, so that's that's another thing. Like in my my current herd right now, I only have one doe that has a negative PTI. And guess what? It's the goat that deserves it. She's (laughs) awful. And she deserves it. And I'm thrilled she has a negative number. And I'm being totally honest because it validates everything. Right. That's exactly how it's supposed to work. That's right. It's not a bad thing. And one of my best friends and one of the most accomplished dairy goat breeders in the country, you know, you know, made a comment. It's like as far as like, you know, oh, well, what's that? I go like, oh, no, you have to keep a barometer. I go, you have to keep a barometer. I go, then you know. I go, so my thing is, I want this lowest on the totem pole goat. And guess what? Her mother used to be the lowest on the totem pole goat. And that was a goat who won her class at a national show as a milker. True story. Um, And so it's like, okay, I'm trying to raise the bar on my bottom end. Not just my top end, but on my bottom end as well. And that's the challenge that's still exciting after 40 years. You have to find a different way because Facebook fury and all these other distractions can get you down and you find something. And that's what then will help make your program more consistent, I think. Right. Well, and then kind of on that idea, there's always, there's the saying that you're only as good as your worst day or something like that. And applying that to your breeding program Obviously, you have, you know, your top does and there's obviously a bottom, but you want to raise that bottom up so that this way, even if anybody sees just that one animal and you may be like, oh, why are you seeing this animal? But as long as she's a nice animal, you can stand behind her as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that doe has great qualities and, you know, and, and if that doe were a different breed, she'd be she'd be exceptional, but she's not exceptional in my biased opinion for my primary breed, but she's fun to work with. And she has doe kids and settles AI. And so I can use her. Yeah. That's, 
I mean, what more can you ask for with that, right? That's right. <laughs> I'm gonna find I, I'm gonna find out an awful lot in April. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> now it's probably pretty safe to say you don't deviate from the data, uh, and very often or go with just like a gut instinct. Um, so you you pretty much stick with the numbers when you're deciding all your breedings. Oh no. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, it, we all get, as I said, we all get distracted. Even us old timers, we get distracted. But, you know, um, no, you have to, you, there's risk reward, right? I mean, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, we just had the Super Bowl, right? So uh, lots of bets placed on the Super Bowl. And, and you know, you kind of go out, got to go out on a limb once in a while. And so I did that once, you know, so. Um, I bought a buck a few years ago from a herd that um, they are not on DHIR, they are on DHIA, um, and they do not appraise. Um, they do show. And I was at a show and I was um, judging, and uh, there's a real pretty milking yearling. And then um, two year olds came out, and I, you know, it was a very nice two year old. Anyway, so then, you know, the group classes come out, produce of dam. Well, there's that yearling and that two year old. Well, and they had the traits. I had been hunting for it, not looking. I'd been hunting for this because I go like, this is like, okay, for my competition, how can I leapfrog my competition? That's like, oh, I've got to do this. But I go, I don't want to use their genetics because it's like, well, I'm going to be always a generation away because they're a generation ahead of me. So how do I find something that's different? So I was so excited, found this and, um, and so, that, you know, i got to wait 15 days after I judge a goat show. And so then it's like, okay, um, hey, are you going to, um, how are you going to breed the mother? Do you still own the mother of the that yearling and that two-year-old? And they, yes, we still own her. I go, wonderful. Go, how are you going to breed her? Well, we haven't decided. I go, oh, would you repeat the breeding of the two-year-old? Yes, we have that. We can do that. And I go, wonderful. So anyway, stars all line. Yay, yay, yay. Does bread. She has a buck and a doe. I go, oh my gosh, how lucky could I be, right? How lucky could I be? She does, and so they're conscientious people. They 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 test this buck kid for a CE even twice before they want to ship it. You know, we've never we don't ship goats. I go, that's okay. I did all the arrangements. I go, you just show up at the airport at this time. I did it all for them, and so they send the buck, and. He had a parentage exclusion. So, you know, no risk, no reward, right? I mean, it's okay. Right. Yeah. But so, you you know, hey, nothing malicious. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. Some lose them. That's why you participate, and that's why you test. And so it wasn't the pedigree I had thought I was going to get. I did. But you know what I did get? I got a 40, 40, 40 milker out of that, out of that buck. I did. And, um, and I got the traits I wanted on, on that dough. I did. Um, so, you know, so, so the, the uh, minor setback, I didn't get the, the pretty pedigree I wanted, but that's a piece of paper. Right. Who, who cares? Okay. Exactly. But, but so, so no, there, you have to go out on a limb and you have to be realistic, you know, and, and so I like to go to, to Vegas like once every like 10 years, you know, I don't got a lot of money to lose, but I mean, I'm willing to, I'm willing to play the, the nickel slots, you know, you gotta. So, um, no, I mean, you know, the data is, so I like to, um, 
this is my my real cheerleading. And if I have any, you know, people haven't yawned their way to turning off this podcast. But so I, uh, I firmly believe that, you know, that I'm very deliberate in my brain program. And I would encourage people to, you know, if you want to learn how to AI um, and use old genetics, please AI all of your dry yearlings to old bucks. And let's see what those old bucks do, especially old bucks who do not have an evaluation. So I have on my semen list, I have, I have every buck listed, it's color coded, and how many more daughters they need to have to have, a, to have an evaluation. So you need five daughters on milk test for at least 40 days of milk, and three daughters appraised for a buck to have an evaluation. So, uh, so if you look in my history, so sometimes I've used some off-the-wall bucks, and that's because that's been my endeavor to help prove out the alpine breed. So, so I think a great way is like put two straws of semen into a dry yearling and, and teach yourself how to AI. Um, so I think that that'd be great. And I breed all my senior does with a milk record and with a, an appraisal record to a fully evaluated buck. And then, um, and then sometimes, you know, if you're going to use a buck kid, you know, that's who I breed kids to. So that's right. kind of, so I do use unproven bucks, um, you know, and I think it's, you know, it kind of makes it all, it's kind of fun and exciting. And then, you know, a couple of years later, Hey, you helped your breed get another buck, have an evaluation. And sometimes some of those old bucks, it's worthwhile, you know, and, and they can help help your cause. And they create a 40, 40, 40. Yeah. And then, and then yeah. that's extra special. Yeah. So they it can be hiding out there. Now, I think your doe line is going to help you there first. but uh. Right. Oh, yeah, 100%. As you said, it, it takes some time for, uh, you know, everything to shape up when it comes to that mammary system. So. Oh, yeah. But it also gives you... If your goal ultimately with those dry yearlings and everything is to get them bred, see what their mammary system is while practicing with AI, you're going to find cheaper semen just because it's unproven. They don't have records to back up a price. Mm -hmm. And you're also going to feel less guilty or sick to your stomach when it doesn't take that first time. When they don't, exactly. You're not going to be like, oh, my God, I just used the last straw of this buck that has been dead for 10 years. And I know this is the last straw because everybody else had it. Their tanks went dry. And instead, right. it's like, oh, yeah, I can get 20 more straws of him if I want. Yeah. Or or it's one of those where you, you bought it where you got so an old uh, Magnum Semen Works, you know, you got five straws for 50 bucks. Well, that's ten dollars a straw and that's cheap semen. And mm-hmm. so, so there's some of these bucks. I mean, I had, so I have a personal goal. Like I, I have all my semen now in one tank, but I don't want to ever buy another tank. I don't. And so I have a goal that I must use one buck every year that I only have one straw left of because it's like, well, he's taking up a whole, you know, cane in that canister. Right. So I want to, I want to use up my, I mean, it's kind of like, why? I mean, if he's so good that I bought him, I should use him, right? Mm-hmm. So, so every year I I have to use one buck that I only have one straw of, and I have to use one buck that only needs, um, you know, one or two more daughters for an eval. I mean, that's and that's kind of like that's kind of the game I play. So sometimes you you know on my sales list, you know, people will see certain bucks on there, and it's usually bred to dry yearlings. Um, but, uh, that's why I, I do some of that stuff. 
that way. But it's kind of fun because, you know, I, I've been very fortunate to have accomplished some goals that I never thought were possible. I never dreamed some things. I, I never did. Um, you know, um, and so sometimes I still can't believe some things have happened. Um, and then sometimes you wish they hadn't happened because people say unkind words um, behind your back. And, you know, but that's just yeah, Facebook theory. Part of and, it, right? Yeah, it's just the way it goes. And so, so for me, it's just, it kind of, it makes it very interesting. And also it's, it's so much fun to speak with people. It doesn't matter if they don't have your breed because they, if they really want to make improvement, it's kind of, it's neutral ground. It's like, well, you don't have, it's, I'm not championing my herd name or whatever. It's like, well, I'm doing it this way and you can do it too in your breed. And I want to see you do it because if you, if you can do it in your breed, via numbers or via certain statistics, it's like, well, guess what? Everyone can. So look at, I mean, look at the science or look at the math behind it and the correlations. And so you, you can at least move the trajectory, right? I mean, that, that's the whole goal. And there's, you know, there's luck and finesse toward the end. And, and of course, management is, you know, key, um, to everything, you, know, you have nothing. You, you're not going to get a doe to settle. You're not going to get, you know, more than a single if you don't feed the animal well, and you know all these other things. You know that's why you need to go to basic, basic courses and, and stub your toe along the way in your first decade. You know, um, <laughs> because then nothing worse than oh, you finally have the goat, and you finally have the straw semen that that breeder finally sold you, and then oh, you know, so. It, you know, sometimes a slow, steady progress is what it takes instead of, you know, this rapid ascent. No, I love I that. And I think that's a great place to just kind of end today. We are so appreciative of your time, Mark. And I definitely know I'm going to have to listen to this episode a few times. Oh, just to really soak in all the information that, you know, was shared today. So we definitely appreciate your time. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm going to get about 50 messages from people saying we got to get Mark Baden back on. So we might have to line that up as well, Mark. Uh, well, sorry for uh, rambling on on things that you didn't ask. No. About, but, I mean, um... no, no, no. Listen, <laughs> Listen the information in this episode is like we could swim in it. Like this is amazing. I, I, can't, I honestly can't wait to get to edit this episode and listen to it all again because this is just. It's, has been a wonderful episode. Well, the the main thing is, and you know, I, I just will try to close with this little bit of cheerleading here. Um, that you know, while um, there are many things that you know, we're all in this together, and certain things, right? We all have goats, but we all can have our own and in, in independent thought. And it's not that you know, mine's better uh, or mine's the best or mine is the only way. It's not. It is not. And there are, you know, and there are definitely errors and mistakes that have been made. But, you know, it's a it's just a philosophy to consider. Um, and especially for the small herd owner. And I say this with all honesty. I mean, I live on a property of less than three acres. I, I live on a property that is, you know, very wet, you know, three fourths of the year. I live on a property with urban encroachment. Um, I, I don't have, you know, I, I live on a property where I can't have, you know, everyone talks about, oh, you have that beautiful Western alfalfa. It's like, 
I don't have a large enough property to store that beautiful Western alfalfa that I have a constant supply. I have to commute to work. And so, you know, there's a lot, we all have struggles. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, and so we all have different, we all have to make a choice. And so for me, it's kind of just try to limit, limit the um, distractions is kind of, and that's what's worked for me. But I can say that, you know, you don't have to be, have a commercial enterprise. You don't have to be freshening 25 or 50 goats a year or even 10 milking yearlings a year. And to see steady improvement um, and for you to reach some of your goals, but just to have realistic goals and, and adjust them along the way. You know, make some goals that, yeah, you haven't, you can't attain this year, but maybe you can next year and you're going to up the ante. And and you can do that through performance programs with the American Deer Agriculture Association. Yeah. Amazing. Mark, where can our listeners find you um, on Facebook or your website for your herd? Um, so my website is olentangyalpines.com and, uh, the my Facebook page is also Olin Tangy Alpines as well, um, and uh, that's you know, and that's all about alpines. And there's some uh, La Mancha archives there as well for some people who may have some of uh, our old uh, La Mancha genetics. Perfect. Well, Mark, we appreciate you being on, and look forward to having you on again someday. Uh, everybody, I'm John, and I'm Danielle. And this has been Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. We'll catch you on the next one. Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.